Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Rachel Coombs-Renwick, and welcome to the Discussions on Concussions podcast. Today, I have a very special panel of women that are here for International Women's Day for us to discuss what it is like to be a woman with a fragile noggin, whether it's chronic migraine, chronic pain, concussions, traumatic brain injury, we all have overlapping symptoms and similar day-to-day lives of how we combat the pressures of society. To start us off, I'll have everyone introduce themselves. Hi everyone, my name is Morgan. I'm a neuroscience researcher and migraine advocate, and I'm at Life with Migraine on Instagram. Hi everyone, I am Casey Ferguson. I'm the migraine nutritionist on Instagram, and I am a registered dietitian with migraine. Hello everyone, I'm Erica Renee. I am a TBI coach consultant, and my Instagram handle is Erica R. Walker 878. Hi, I'm Beth. I'm a social worker and migraine advocate. Hi, I'm Shruti. I'm chronically me on Instagram and a migraine advocate. Well, welcome everyone. I'm so excited to have you on here all today. So we are going to start off by a more generalized topic of societal pressures that as a woman, we all face. And as a fragile noggin, I don't know about you guys, but I feel at sometimes that these pressures just kind of come crumbling down where I'm not able to every day have that, okay, I'm working. I'm making sure that like the house is tidy and I'm making sure that I'm socializing with my friends and I'm making sure of this. And the list just goes on and on. And it's funny because I feel too that it has kind of morphed into this, you know, that one movie, I don't know how she does it. It wasn't that great of a movie. It was like Sarah Jessica Parker years ago. And it was like, she was a working mom and like the house was perfect. She looked perfect in a perfect outfit with perfect hair. And that is just pressurized on any woman. But then when you have physical mental health limitations it just kind of puts you in this rut of like i don't know how to do that all and then the burden just comes back on you i remember when my husband and i got married my nana at the time bless her heart was like hey rach how's keeping house different generation i was like well you know nana i uh I clean when I can, but, you know, Matt actually does the cooking and uh, it's going great. Keeping out is going great. And it was always so shocking for her to hear, like, he does the cooking. He does majority of the cleaning at times. And I'm just like, you know, Nana, this is this is what I go through with, like, chronic migraine, post-concussion syndrome. I have my certain daily limitations. So does anyone else have a a similar experience in that where you just feel everyone's nodding their heads? (laughs) Something I hear a lot about on Instagram is this good girl conditioning that I'm sure we've all had. All women have grown up thinking like, as you described with like the perfect woman with that Sarah Jessica Parker movie, like we're supposed to do all of the things. And I know, I'm sure, again, all of you have experienced it, but I certainly looking back on my past, like there was this huge pressure to be able to do everything. Like there were such high expectations. I was basically the oldest 
functioning child. <laughs> I have an older sister who was severely disabled mentally and physically. So I was acting as the oldest child. So I had all of these responsibilities and like, I never felt like there was an excuse to slack on anything. And that was even harder, obviously, with the disability of migraine. Well, times have changed. And I believe as women, we are all, we're pretty amazing women, but society does put a lot of pressure on women to be perfect and the looks department, like as you said, and the career-wise and in the home and just in every area, we're like, we be superwoman. And we can't make any mistakes, you know, but there has to be some grace. Because we're supposed to stay human at the end of the day. We're human, like anybody else. And so there has to be space for mistakes to be considered because we're all imperfect beings at the end of the day. And when it comes to cleaning, particularly, I clean the capacity that I can clean it because I'm in a wheelchair myself. So obviously it's going to be a little different. It was different for me than other cases of women who are able-bodied and things like that. So that's the purchase that I face. And it's like, well, can't you do more? Well, don't you see them? <laughs> don't, don't, you see, don't you see me? You know, don't, don't you see me? But you're high so that's where I think the pressure comes from for me. Yeah, absolutely. I can really resonate with that. Um, my husband and I moved this week and moving with, uh, you know, having had 12 concussions and, and migraine disorder. Uh, I'm very type A, you know, the good girl message really resonates with me. So trying to like pace myself, Rachel was in my head all week being like, take a break, you know, you're gonna get it done. Um, but we had a friend come over last night to see the new place. And she said sort of, you know, you got to keep this one clean. You know, it's a it's a nice house that you've bought. And I sort of said to her, you know, when you can cure my chronic migraine and, you know, get my concussions away, maybe I can keep a perfect house. But, you know, we have rubber balls and glass balls and some of them will break if I drop them. And those are the ones I prioritize. Cleaning my kitchen regularly, you know, mopping the floor, those are the ones that can bounce. And those are the ones I'm gonna let bounce when I'm in those seasons and having those days. Wow, I love how you put that. Oh my goodness. Beth, where have you been hiding that from me? Rubber ball. <laughs> Therapist over here, you know. <laughs> so for me, it was, um... I didn't quite realize that migraine was the reason why I was the way I was. I wouldn't get off the bed. I wouldn't get off the couch. And we had help at home in India. So it was, I could just get away with it. But my room was a mess. My wardrobe was a mess. It still is. And, you know, I had to hear, you know, you don't keep it clean and you're so lazy, this and that. And once I got married, we had the kid and we moved to Canada. No help, have to do everything on my own, which is not a big deal. I've done it before but it's very hard to mother and cook and clean. And when I say mother, I say, you know, mothering my husband and my dog and my kid. And yeah, basically cleaning up the mess. And it, it just feels a bit too much. And when I try to explain this to someone else, they say, every woman does it. And coming from my culture, yes, every woman does it. You're just expected to do it, but it's very hard. And more than the pressure that the society puts on you, I think, of course, you grow up with it and you're conditioned to believe that this is how you're supposed to be. So you tend to put pressure on yourself. You feel bad about the mess. You feel bad that you're not meeting certain expectations or not being a good enough mom or like keeping the house clean or being a good host even when someone comes home. So I think that's been the hardest thing. But lately, I'm kind of rolling with it. 
it's okay if you can't see. <laughs> as long as nobody's dying or falling sick or falling over and getting hurt, I'm cool. Yeah. It's, it's that acceptance, right? I love that, like just rolling yeah. with it because it's really hard sometimes to, because I find some days I'm just really like putting some grace on myself. Like, it's okay. You're doing the best you can. And then other days you find yourself like, oh, if I didn't have all those brain injuries or if I wasn't suffering with migraine, like I would be conquering the world. I, I saw this video this week of this one girl that showed when she was 16, she had great grades in school. She was heavily involved. She had extracurriculars. She had a social life. She was like ready to conquer the world. And then it like panned her 26 now, 10 years later, it was just, I went for a 10 minute walk today. And like, that was great. But like, how did the bar get so low? I, I think to myself, yeah, I constantly compare myself to how I was when I was younger, what my aspirations were, where I thought I would be when I got older and, you know, started settling down more. And it's just crazy to think that, yeah, honestly, I think 16 year old me would kind of be rude to me. Like, I would not like her. She would just be like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean you, you can't do all of these things? Because I find that this week I said to my husband, you know, I if I'm working and I'm putting more efforts into my current part-time job that I'm working of or discussions on concussions, something else, I find that the house just it becomes less clean and it's hard to maintain. And that's when the kitchen is piling up with dishes because he works insane hours. And the weeks where I'm focusing more on work, I'm focusing on one thing, then that's when, you know, the house starts to like the dishes pile up, the laundry, when I don't know about you guys, but laundry is so daunting days where even if it's just piles of clean laundry, Sometimes it's just so hard to be like, let's fold it and put it away. But then the weeks where I focus on those things, the more visible things around the house, then I'm not, you know, fulfilling what I wanted to do work that way. So it's just like this kind of teeter totter I find where you have to pace yourself. I kind of realized that putting that pressure on yourself about doing things right, or, you know, I have so much to do today. And if I don't do them, then I'm again, the same self-criticism, um, that emotionally exhausts you and you have no spoons left for the entire day to do any of that stuff. So it's just, if I'm not kind to myself, nobody else is going to be or would want to be, or I can't expect that from anybody else, right? So yeah. that that's something that I've been trying to incorporate and say, hey, it's okay, cut yourself some slack. It's all right if the dishes are like piling up. It's okay if you take your clothes out of the dryer and never fold them and never put them in the closet. Yes. <laughs> I think it comes down to this notion of unsubscribing from what you think life has to look mm -hmm. like, right? You see the influencers, you see the posts, you see the YouTube channels where everyone is living this ideal life. Everything looks perfect, uh, perfectly clean. The job is going well, you know, not a hair out of place, like Rachel was saying, and realizing that that is not real. Any influencer or person on 
social media who's being honest will show you the fact that those are their best days. Very similar to chronic illness. You only see us when we go out on our best days. Everyone online is only showing their best days. So giving yourself permission, like Shruti was saying, of you do not have to live like that all the time. Like you don't have to internally subscribe to that external pressure. Really hard when you've been conditioned your entire life, but it's a little bit of deconditioning and realizing that your life Like you have control of what you want that to look like and you can change your mindset around what your ideal looks like. Yeah. Absolutely. Giving yourself grace is like, my grace is my best friend. Grace is like, well, hey, I didn't do it. So who's going to, who's going to get mad about it? (laughs) Get mad about it, but myself, but I'm okay with it. I've learned to say, it's okay. Yeah. They be patient with yourself. And I mean, I can only do so much. So if they don't like it, then if people don't like it, then too bad. But expectations will definitely get you feeling like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. No, you're living your life. You're, it's your line, your zone. It's your journey. So we all have to um, lower the expectations on ourselves and forget what society says. Yeah, releasing that pressure and like giving yourself grace and learning how to face everything is something I really resonate with. And as you were saying, Rachel, about the... Um, 16-year-old version of yourself not being a big fan of you nowadays, I actually kind of think the opposite because while I was 16, I had all of that pressure. I was doing all the things, you know, the school, the extracurriculars, the working, and I was so exhausted that since now I'm able to give myself some of that grace and take steps back when I need to. And I had to reach like a breaking point to get to this point where I was overperforming and then like I crashed. And Ever since that point, I felt so much relief. And I feel like the 16-year-old version of myself would be so jealous of where I am today now. I love that. <laughs> I love that comparison. And I, I'm really happy, too, that, you know, thank goodness 16-year-old versions of ourselves aren't just going to pop out. But who knows where technology will I don't know. But I, I love it. And it's funny. It's like when I made that shift of my everyday to-do list because I'm a very organized person. I love to like map everything out to then I changed the language to my list of suggestions. I then didn't feel bad about myself when, you know, symptoms would arise and I wasn't able to physically complete everything. Or if you're feeling drained at a certain point of the day and you just know, okay, this is just a mental break. I need to do something for me, just relax. And once I started doing that shift, it's funny because if anyone were to look at my like planner where I still map things out, you'll see like sometimes things will get crossed off or I'll be like really, really hard head day. Or I'll like draw a big arrow and something that I originally wrote on Tuesday goes to Friday. And if anyone were to open it up, you'd be like, this person's insane. (laughs) How is this organized? But mentally, it has helped me a lot just to take off of that pressure and be like, okay, what are the things I actually have to get done? And what are the things that I want to get done? And what are some real timelines to complete this? Because I found before I gave myself that grace that I was really putting on the pressure that it's like, okay, I didn't get these all done this week. So it's the last day of the week. And now I'm going to have to do all of these things. And then my head was just like, oh, hell no, you did not do that. 
you are out and you're going to be in bed for days because you were an idiot and you did not think about that very clearly. So pacing yourself is definitely a thing that I, I feel like we've all learned. Well, and it's hard. I, don't, I think anyone who maybe shoves everything to the end of the week or isn't perfect at balancing their to-do list may not necessarily be what I would term like an idiot, but just someone who's trying to live life and navigate it with, you know, all of the demands of your home work life balance. And I really liked the tangible suggestion you just made, Rachel, of make it a suggestion list, not a to-do list. And actually something that I do to help me facilitate that is that I write my calendar and my planner on a whiteboard and I go through and I plan every month and then I know nothing's permanent. Like this is erasable, this is movable. And then that way I give myself unwritten and constant permission to change it depending on how many spoons I have that day, how I'm feeling, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally, because I find taking care of that aspect of myself is just as important in managing my health as the actual like physical symptoms that I struggle with. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to steal that because <laughs> I never am able to keep a paper physical calendar because of that like stress about I'm going to have to change things. I'm going to have to use that whiteboard method. I love it. It made me think what like Casey and Morgan were saying about like, it sometimes takes getting to like that breaking point, unfortunately, to realize like, things are movable, things aren't as critical as we feel like they are. And Rachel and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago about I did my master's while dealing with, you know, the worst of my my migraine and concussions with not a wraparound support at the time. And Rachel sort of said, like, how doable do you think a master's would be with our concussions? And I said, well, the way I would do, I did it, I would never do that again. <laughs> that wasn't trauma-informed. That wasn't like chronic illness-informed. I didn't do it the way I would do now because I know better right? I just tanked through. I just put my head down and was like, I have to get this done. I wasn't validating my own experience. I wasn't acknowledging my own limitations that were so real, right? I was trying to dismiss them and just do graduate on time, right? All of these expectations. And I graduated in COVID. I didn't have graduation anyways, you know, like I didn't get to walk across the stage. It wouldn't have mattered if it was June or October, right? But Unfortunately, I had to learn that the hard way and then deal with the consequences and now realize none of that matters. Timelines, that doesn't matter. I have to take care of myself and I'm actually so much better at completing my suggestion list when it's informed, when it's realistic and not just like a Beth from 10 years ago, her timeline of events. I have a question for the group, and this is something that I work really hard on in my advocacy efforts of how can we help people release this societal pressure and unsubscribe from the notion that you have to do everything before they hit rock bottom? Because much like Casey was mentioning, as well as Beth, like I had to drop out of school. I literally drove myself to being bedridden for two entire years before I woke up to the realization that this was not okay. I was not you know, I wasn't taking care of myself and I needed to in order to be able to be a functioning member of society. So I'm always trying to find ways of conveying the importance to people to prioritize your mental, physical and emotional health over your suggestion list before you hit rock bottom. So any suggestion that panelists have would be great. I believe pacing, is, pacing yourself is vital and not caring about what people say. We have so many people in our ears a lot of times 
you see Instagram, all they're doing that comparison. Like you're in our own ears sometimes, in our own in our own heads. I think once you get out of the, um, I have to be perfect, or I need to be like this person or that person. That person is covering like that, so I need to get like that. Or am I doing enough? Um, getting your own, you're like to run our own our own journeys, so no one's in your own race. We're in our own race, and so we don't have to compete with nobody else. Because nobody's journey is yours. We're all individual people. Nobody's in our body. So only we know what's going on with this. So once we pace ourselves and we give ourselves more grace and space to make errors, to feel how we're going to feel. And I think when we don't allow ourselves to feel, instead of trying to like um, make yourself, not allow yourself to feel, not give yourself the space to feel angry. So it's okay to be mad. Scream you have to, ah, you know, scream you have to, if that helps. But allow yourself to feel and not suppress your feelings. So I think um, facing yourself and allowing yourself to feel will make a difference as well. Instead of trying to mask it and make yourself pretending like, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. You know, I'm sucking this. I'm great. I'm fine. Everything's well. No, it's not. <laughs> it's okay to say that. So it's okay to be okay. Yeah. So, Morgan, I just find it that unfortunately, people don't pace themselves or listen to that. You know, self-care is your priority and then you look at other things until they burn out, until they hit rock bottom. I have tried so many times to people who write into DMs and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. How do I actually manage my migraine? I'm studying pre-med. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And when I suggest, hey, take five minutes in a day to focus just on yourself, they say, I don't have time for that. So I say, listen to a podcast when you're in the bathroom instead of just scrolling on Instagram. I can't do that. So until they hit rock bottom, and this applies to me as well. Like 10 years ago, I worked myself so much. I would actually stay up 20 hours a day working because that kind of distracted me from everything else that I was feeling. But eventually I hit rock bottom and I got to a point where I, I just couldn't think about working anymore. Like no words were coming into my head. The brain fog was so bad. Sometimes I think, especially in this, because of how we are conditioned, uh, to believe that you know our illnesses are not good enough an excuse, people really do have to hit rock bottom. And the therapist in me wants to say, you know, like it's hard to validate our own experiences when our illnesses aren't validated in society, right? Like we know migraine, for instance, is so much more likely for women to get it, and then how much of that experience gets erased because it's a female disease, right? And we have a lot of men and non-binary people, of course, who experience it, but it's disproportionate, right? And so, as you said, it's not seen as a big enough excuse, right? And so it has to start inside of like, it doesn't matter what a partner or a friend or a doctor thinks of my experience, it's real, it's happening now. I have to start with that validation from inside and then be able to give the grace and then be able to do the pacing. Because if I'm still dismissing my reality, I'm not going to put any of those things in place. And so I think I know Morgan's doing like, this is what your PhD is going to be on is like, this is real. This is happening. This is what it's like to have this diagnosis. I think the more we legitimize what it's like to have some of these labels, 
the more validating ideally other folks will be about what it is like. And then hopefully folks won't have to get to the rock bottom because just validating our own experiences will be starting like younger. It will be more of the norm. So if it's an injury or an accident or an illness, we're already more practiced at just being like, this is how I'm feeling and it's real. Yeah, I think that's huge because for me, (laughs) of course, like everyone else, I hit my rock bottom and that was me getting let go of a job because of the toll that my head was, was currently at. And if I could think back to before I hit that rock bottom, what really could have helped me was just listening to women like us, where it's like, wow, they all had to face these awful times in their lives, like these milestones that aren't good milestones that taught us all of all of this. And I wish that I had someone to look up to, to say, you don't want to get to that point. Because it took me a long time. And as Erica said, masking is something that I got really good at. And still to this day, I will definitely try to to use, but for it's been four years since my last brain injury. And the first two years of that, I didn't want anyone to think I was weak, didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't my normal self. And I didn't want anyone, whether it was in a social aspect or a work aspect, to think that I couldn't handle anything. So I would say to anyone out there that if you're already feeling like this is all way too much, you need to take a step back and you need to reflect mentally and look physically of like, wow, I'm flaring up every day or I'm crying myself to sleep every night. And what can I, what can I do to lessen my load or who can I share my journey with? I think that's a huge aspect to stop the masking is to start by just saying to someone in your life, this is the physical pain I'm going through, or these are the, these are the thoughts that are mentally going through my head. Because once you kind of reach out, that can be your lifeline for somebody to know, oh, that's what she's been going through this whole time versus, oh, I saw her accomplish this and she was so happy and smiley at like this event. You know, it's just once we start letting people in and we share what we're going through and we're more transparent, that is when we can be more real with ourselves. Unfortunately, as I was just talking, there was some tech issues that occurred where the others couldn't quite hear everything I was saying. And then I cut out for the next 20 minutes of this podcast episode. But thankfully, we have so many amazing and professional women in this panel that they just picked it right back up with the questions and had an amazing discussion that I was still able to hear. I do want to ask Morgan, if if someone had told you to pace yourself and to take care of yourself first, before burnout, would you have actually listened to that? Would you have reflected on it? No. And I'm trying to find a way to get through to old me, right? Like I literally drove myself into the ground and had an entire health collapse that cost me years of my life. And I don't know what I could have said, uh, you know, without looking forward through a crystal ball, what I could have said to my to my younger self. 
Um, but I'm, I'm searching. I'm searching for ways to try and help people because I know so many of us are type A driven. We want to be everything. We've been told we have to be everything in many instances. And it's um, it's a real challenge to figure out how to communicate with this generation that's being you know influenced by so many external and internal pressures that it's okay if you're not everything. Like you're saying, I honestly don't know what would have made me not hit that rock bottom because I wouldn't listen to anyone. I, I was just pushing through and I had to hit that. But I think the only way I possibly could have avoided that crash and burn was maybe like what Rachel was saying with the looking up to these role models that have gone through these things and getting involved with the community and hearing the stories of these like terrible experiences um, that other people have had. So maybe we can we can be those role models that can help this younger generation not hit that point that we've all had to hit. <laughs> that might have been the only thing. And I think it kind of, ex- I think it expands to even able-bodied women as well, and people in general. They're just racing for something. What, what are we winning at the end of this race? Even if I pause, let's say, five, ten days and I go back to it, it's going to be the same. I'm still racing towards something. So I guess that's the idea that we'd have to change make self-care seem so normal, normalize that. And of course, validate any experience that you are having. You know, I'm feeling tired or I don't feel up to this today. Whether I'm sick, whether I have a chronic illness, mental illness or nothing, I'm just, I'm just a normal person. So we just have to validate every experience for ourselves, for others, and then probably get to that point where all this feels normal. Taking time for yourself is okay. I think the thought that crossed my mind as you were saying that was like, what is a functioning member of society? Like, what what does that even mean? Like, are we supposed to work and that's what functioning is and, and be contributing to like taxes and all of those things? Is it to like be promoted? Is it to become parents? Like, I think it's normalizing like, what are we working towards here, right? Like, I think that there's been a bit of a change around not everyone has to go to university, right? Like, that was huge. Like, that isn't the pipeline for everyone. And getting into careers that require a university degree, like, that's not a good fit, as you said, for so many different reasons. Let's stop pursuing something that, like, we haven't taken a second to be like, does that even fit for me? Is that something I even want to work towards? Like, do I have worth without working or without being like, you know, some of those labels are just like so ableist in itself that we don't even realize, like, wait a second, what does functioning even mean? And why are we thinking we have to be it? Yeah, I think I have decided that I get to choose what functioning member of society means for me. Um, So when I use that language, I mean, as in self-defined what I mean, I was in bed for two years and couldn't even have the lights on for me. That was not a level of functioning that I wanted to be at. And I think this also comes back to the concept, um, you know, Shruti, you brought up a great point of a lot of times I was using my illness as justification for needing rest, needing support, needing more than I thought I potentially deserved. And something that I've worked a lot in therapy is, for example, uh, this is a a personal anecdote. I was driving with my boyfriend. He was driving and I was in the passenger seat. We were on the highway and he had the windows down. And my head with like the pressure of the wind in the windows down the highway was too much. And I sat there for like 10 minutes convincing myself that it was okay to ask to roll the windows up. And just because I thought 
at first I thought, well, oh, I can just say my head's hurting and then he'll roll it up. Or I can just ask to close the window and it won't be a big deal. And it ended up not being a big deal. But like it's that reframe in your mind of you don't have to justify your physical, emotional, mental needs just because you have chronic illness. But at the same time, like that can also taking care of those aspects of yourself can help you manage your chronic illness. So something I really struggled with when I was in that like really over pushing myself until I hit that rock bottom was just trying to make everyone else more comfortable. And I think that's something we all do when we're masking our symptoms. And it's mostly just to not make a fuss and not seem like you're high maintenance, but really you're just trying to get your needs met. So like it's, you have to kind of switch that thought in your mind of like, it's okay to just roll up the windows. It's not a big deal. Or like, I can just ask to step out and have a snack. So like, I'm not, you know, over hungry and that could be a trigger for me. It's not a big deal. And we don't need to be masking all these things and trying to just like fit right in. I don't know. I don't know a better way to say it, <laughs> but yes. I think for me, it's about having courage too. The courage to speak up and not being afraid. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Your truth is your truth. And if it offends people, then what are you going to keep it in? Because all you're doing is depressing it even more. And then you want to blow up. And then it just oppresses it to me, anger and all kinds of stuff. It fesses into something different. But when you say people, I'm I'm getting I'm working on it myself and I'm I'm working on that <laughs> a lot more than I did before. Because I I'm kinda of, I used to be very timid and I don't hurt people, I don't hurt nobody's feelings. You know, I'd be this nice, kind person. I don't want to offend anybody. But now it's like, well, Erica, you not get your knees met because you're afraid to say something to somebody. So it wasn't afraid to me, myself, because now I'm, at, I'm not going to think of myself all day like, I, I should have said something. I should have let this slide. Or I should have just spoken for myself, took it for myself. So I think we kind of do ourselves a disservice not speaking up, not having the courage to say that bothered me or roll the window up. Can you please roll the window up? You can say it nice. It's not what you say, it's how you say it a lot of times to people. People will take some, if I'm saying, you better do this, that's not going to come over well. When you say to somebody, well, could you please do this? Or I feel like you this, this led me to feel this way. It's like it's your approach. And let's say the courage to the courage to say to certain things and being kind and um, not allowing our words to be harmful, but allow our words to be more kind to people. And just, you know, it's not how you say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I want to ask everyone as well, because this comes back to, I think, a really important concept of like authenticity and showing up as your true self, asking for your needs. And I don't know about everybody else, but whenever I meet someone who is so authentic about who they are, what they need, and how they're, you know, existing in my space with me, I feel more comfortable being myself. So it's like, it's a, it helps both people if you can just ask for what you need and have a conversation about it. I don't know if that's been everyone else's experience as well. I was going to say it's such a gift to like set a boundary with someone or to set yourself up for success and like be kindly assertive as Erica says, because it gives them a chance to like rise to the occasion, right? Because if they're your people, they want to help. They want to like roll up the window, like they want to be able to show up for you. And I sometimes have done some experiments on social media of like posting authentically you know like we have the Grammarly photos we have the cute dog in the house and the whatever but the moments that I share more honestly about like the dark sides like the really hard stuff that I got another concussion this is what Botox treatments like this is what my self-injections are like they get so much less engagement and that's okay 
right? Because the people who are my people, they like it anyways. They comment anyways, right? But it is interesting to be like, those Instagram worthy photos are the ones that people like literally like more, you know, and it's choosing to show up authentically, even when it's not like desirable or socially, you know, like there is that pressure to like, keep it contained, put the mask on. It's like, no, I'm going to choose to take it off. But it's interesting how other people like, aren't comfortable with it sometimes. It's funny, we wouldn't be thinking of pleasing other people and making people feel comfortable if we didn't have migraine or any of the chronic illnesses. That, that, that's something I realized. Back then, I would have never thought about hiding my truth or like not being assertive. I would just ask someone to stop the car if I want air, right? So I find it funny that the, the illness made me worry about what other people are feeling, probably because nobody really validated what I was feeling. Or that's been our experience, right? Most of the time we say, hey, could you please turn the music off? They'd say, stop being a drama queen. That happens too. Sure, some people want to show up, but most of our life we spend time with people who are not close friends or family. And I guess that's why we kind of start people pleasing and not caring much about ourselves in that situation. And myself personally, I've had to deal with that. I guess I'm in the wheelchair, so I need caregivers to help me with certain things. So I'm, I'm forced to come to my shelf and say, hey, if I want something done a certain way, I shouldn't have to feel bad for asking for it if it's going to make me comfortable. I have to ask, how how much does guilt feature in your life with chronic illness? How Do you ever feel guilty for taking time for yourself or being assertive? Immensely, immensely and always. That was always good. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but that's something I really had to work on. <laughs> How did you work on it? Um, I think part of it was honestly just this idea of things like, you know, rolling up the window. It's not really a big deal. And I've made these things to be such a big deal in my head. Like, for example, whenever I moved in with my significant other that I've been with for almost a decade now, um, we moved in together about three years ago. And I had this huge, like, idealistic version of what it's going to look like. And then that just wasn't possible because I to the severe debilitating part of my migraine journey and I just couldn't do anything and I felt so guilty but just seeing his reaction to that and he just kind of brushed it all off he learned how to like make me some simple meals and like cleaned up the house more even though he also had a lot of things like school during the day where I was working and um yeah so just like seeing that whenever I do step out of my comfort zone and ask for help it's not usually met with like hostility it's usually just something where okay, like, that's not a big deal. And I started talking to people I was working with about it. And they're just like, Oh, okay, do you need, you know, time, like, whatever, people really just, they're also concerned about what's going on with them. That if you just say that, like, you need a minute, or like, you need some small, simple task, like that you need help with, like, it usually doesn't matter. And that was kind of how I got out of that guilt, just realizing it's not like this huge, overwhelming burden that I've made it to be in my head. Yeah, it made me think of like, the small victory or the small reframe, I guess, of having like migraine and concussions is I think I got to asserting myself and unlearning people pleasing and relinquishing guilt like a little bit quicker in my life than I think I would have otherwise because it forced me to get over those instincts. Like it forced me to like, 
unlearn some of those things that I think I would have maybe figured out in like my 50s, maybe, you know, like that confidence of like the aunt who like, isn't afraid to kindly, but like, take care of her needs or express herself. And I feel like, a little bit of gratitude that like, I figured that out earlier, because I had to, but my, my friends, my people can show up for me, or they can't, and I can learn who those people are and who they aren't. But I'm like, yeah, it is a win. But now I'm better at that. And and it came a little bit more efficiently than I think it would have otherwise. So why do you find your people is very essential? My cousin always said to that, Erica, you know, you can ask anything you want to ask, I could say is no. I could say is no. <laughs> so if I don't, I mean, if I don't, if I don't come with it, if I don't want to do it, I could say is no. I can hear is no. So what's the worst that can happen besides the person saying no? So I definitely am learning to get out of, out of self, out the, out your mind, and you know, it definitely um, makes a world of difference. So and having the courage to speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself, your needs got to be met. So again, you're going to get, get your needs met because you want to accommodate other people's feelings. Yeah. Therapist over here knows why that happens though, right? Like when we, when we're, we grow up to take on like inappropriate responsibility or we're made to feel like we have to take care of like other people's feelings or needs. We don't trust that our needs will be met. We don't trust that people will tell us no or be honest. They'll go gossip about it, right? Or there'll be a passive aggressive comment, right? Like it's earned people show us like, yeah, I'll just say no if I can't do it. Like, I'll just be honest with you. And it's like, oh, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to people just being like mature about having these conversations. So I don't have to do the mental gymnastics of like, well, what will they say? And what will they do? And how, what will be the consequences? I don't want to go through all that. I'm just going to do it myself. And it's like, no, your people like will show up for you and be honest. And we don't always have that experience or reference point though. And that's why we get into those habits. And I think it's important to recognize too, when you're finding your people and who can support you and how is remembering that different people can support you at different times. They're also juggling other things. And so sometimes it's okay to ask, Hey, I need the support. Are you okay? Like, are you available either mentally, physically, or emotionally to help me with this or support me in this and talk about this and recognizing that even if they don't have a chronic illness, they're obviously juggling Everyone feels every aspect of life. Everyone goes through the rainbow of emotions and allowing there to be a dialogue of, are you able to or willing or, you know, do you have the bandwidth to support me in this moment? And if not, that's okay too. And, you know, we can, we can work together and we're still, you know, friends or whatever the relationship is and come back to it at a time when maybe there's more bandwidth on both ends. How are you guys treated at the hospital or the clinic when you go there on a very high pain day? I mean, everybody on Instagram probably knows my story when I go to the hospital, but yeah, I'd love to know yours. Um, yeah, Shruti, to answer your your question, I've had a like spectrum of experiences depending on the doctor and the person who sees me at the moment. I have been absolutely dismissed and accused of drug seeking, and then I've also been treated like the most amazing person. You know, I've had great nurses who have been incredibly sympathetic, and so I... I'm thankful that I've seen both sides because I think it makes me a better advocate, but it also makes me really frustrated for the fact that 
such a high level of dismissal and accusations that are completely false are given to so many patients when the last place someone with a migraine attack wants to go is the freaking emergency room. It literally head to toe is just a terrible experience and is the most uncomfortable thing. And so the fact that you think that they're coming there because they want to be there for the drugs is just a joke. (laughs) There must be easier ways to get drugs. (laughs) Honestly, I would rather go to a street corner than be here. So please. (laughs) But there's also this thing that women have a very low pain threshold. We exaggerate, you know. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And it it was infuriating for me when I went to my husband and he was given morphine for gas. And I was sent home with <laughs> So yeah, it, it's insane. Here's what we do. You get a bald cap, you know, you take off all the makeup, you dress in the man's clothing, and then you lower your voice to octaves and you ask for <laughs> something. This is where Taylor Swift's man makes sense. So true. It's so true. <laughs> it's that trade-off, right? Like, okay, I think I could use an IV. Like, I think I could benefit from going to the hospital. But is it worth it? Like, is it worth a trade-off of, like, the lights and the noises and being dismissed and having to advocate for myself when I'm, like, already in 10 out of – I'm in 12 out of 10 at this point if I'm contemplating the hospital. Like, it's it's not fair that that's, like, the barrier. It's, like, is this going to be worth it for the medication that historically has helped? Like, I'm sure many of us – that isn't what's helpful maybe at this point. Like we might need other medications that our teams have like prescribed, but that shouldn't be the the risk reward, you know, question in our heads. And I don't know how everyone else combats it, but the best way after I had two terrible experiences in the ER, I mean, I ended up transferring clinics, but one way that I was prepared to combat the dismissal was I had a written and signed letter from my treating neurologist. It was on the clinic letterhead with a description of what meds to give in what dosage at what times and why it was necessary and his um, like cell phone number to call if it was a problem because I explained to him what was happening and he's like, this is not okay if you can't get it because I go to a different state to get care and he's like, if you can't come to Arizona, stay in California and at least you have a letter. So that's something you can ask for from your physician. At this point, I was able to come back in and rejoin the group. So after we laughed about it for a while, I then wrapped things up. Thank you all for sharing for sharing those insights and everything. I think just um, a couple of thoughts that I had too of the, you know, one not masking, being transparent, finding people you can connect with and sharing your experience and also, you know, taking down that people pleasing wall and being real with yourself and being real to others. Um, An example that I just wanted to add is that uh, I've really struggled with that because I'm a people pleaser and taking that part of me a little bit more back to be like, this is is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I need to do for me. Um, Beth, I'm putting you on the spot here because it's so great when you find someone that relates with you and your symptoms and your everyday needs because when we were hanging out once and it was a group I was like totally shutting down I was hungry which you know then you get hangry I my head like all the fogginess symptoms were happening but I just was like I'm just going to sit here and we'll just see if what the plan is for when we'll eat. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to bother anyone. Beth was just like, okay, so when are we going to eat? Because I'm hungry. 
And she said it in like still a very polite way. Like it didn't come off rude at all. It was like to the point, you know, like again, any man would just be like, okay, what's the plan? And no one would bat an eye. But for a woman to be like, okay, everyone, come on. Like I need food right now. And I just looked at her and I was like, my hero. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did you, how did you know? And she was just like, I know I need this. And, you know, she has used her whole life experience of the times where she didn't stick up for herself to say like, this is what I need to fuel my body. And I looked at her in amazement and I was like, yeah, that's what I need to do in those moments where you don't want to just kind of step into the crowd and say like, hey, can we roll the windows back up? I I heard that part. I was like, I relate with that 100%. So I just, uh, I I really love that we were all able to share our our experiences of that and, and what's best for us and, and, you know, putting aside the pressure of society. So thank you so much, Beth, Morgan, Shruti, Erica, and Casey for joining me today and having this candid discussion. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to part one of our three-part series for International Women's Day. That's it for part one. Don't forget to tune in to part two and three. Remember to rest that head of yours, everyone.